This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're talking to Daniel Tremontana. Daniel is the Chief Operating Officer at BGL Corporate Solutions, a software company providing compliance management software solutions to over 8,000 businesses in 15 countries. What's interesting about BGL is their focus on their people, and Daniel is extremely passionate about people, health, and well-being. In today's episode, you'll hear about the importance of taking a holistic view when it comes to people's health and well-being, why your staff's well-being should be at the forefront of your decision-making, and why your people are your biggest asset. Let's jump in. Daniel, thank you for joining our show today. It's a pleasure, Savan, and I do appreciate the opportunity to, to join you guys. Now we're, we're excited to have you, and we're looking forward to talking about this special topic. It's true to my heart, but tell me a little bit about your background and how did it all get started? Yeah, look, uh, my name's Daniel and I come from an Italian background, love culture, love food. Food for me is a love language. Family for me is a love language. I went through school, went through university, got a degree in computer science and accounting, went on to do an MBA. I joined BGL Corporate Solutions in 1997 and I went in as a support consultant. So you're, you're doing the figures in your head. It's 24 years and next year will be 25 years. And at BGL Corporate Solutions, I started off as a support consultant. Through the years, I'm now progressed to the position of Chief Operating Officer. I've worked alongside Ron Lesh, who is the CEO and the founder of BGL Corporate Solutions. And honestly, what I do, the job that I do, the people that I work with, it's it's a passion, Savannah. It's not something that I see as an obligation or a duty. It's a passion. I just love what I do, the people I represent, the clients, the community. And I'm just very, very blessed to be in that position. You were, used the word passion. What gave you the passion to learn more about health and well-being? What was that passion that drove it? Yeah, look, I, the, the thing with myself is like I've always been involved in things like football, team sports, and, you know, and, and occasionally individual sports. But what I love about people is that people make things happen, right? And people, humans are a wonderful thing. And if you treat them right, you work with them well, you respect them, you give them opportunity to grow, seeing them flourish and really excel in what they do, I I think should be at the forefront of everything that we do when it comes to decision making around business or life or whatever it may be. But I like to see people well. I like to see people do well. I like to see people flourish. And and when that happens, I just love to celebrate it. So what I've gone on is a bit of a journey to to not only understand the topic of well-being and people better, but then also how to work with people to make sure that you know they're getting the best out of their lives and for me personally, providing them with the best opportunities. And that leads perfectly to my next question. In terms of health and well-being, for the person, then the listener out there that doesn't know the definition and what it sort of covers, what does it actually mean? What's, what is health and well-being? What does it cover? Yeah, look... Health and well-being. So when we look at people and we look at our, our makeup, we, we look at you know mind, body, and soul. 
And you want people to be well in all areas, right? Because at day's end, if you're not well in one of the areas, it's going to affect the other the other areas of that person. So it's really important that when you look at people and you manage people and you're trying to work with people and understand them, that you've got a holistic view of them. You mm. just can't address one area of a person or one area of a person's need without making sure that you're addressing all of them. Because if one's not working well, the likelihood is, is that the other parts won't work well. And what you want is you want people to be whole. You want them to be strong. You want them to flourish. You want them to feel that they're important. And at day's end, I see our responsibility as one of ensuring that people's well-being is at the forefront of all our decision-making because people should come first. And I guess there'd be a lot of benefits in an organisation to have strong health and well-being policies. Can you define some of those benefits in an organisation that does this well? Let's maybe talk a little bit first about what are the impacts of not doing it well. Because I think that that's really important too. And I picked up this information from the the Black Dog Institute. And one of the things that's just a staggering amount of money is that people don't realize that in this country, $10.9 billion a year is lost in either absenteeism, productivity, and or compensation claims. People on average take three to four sick days each month, which is basically in regards to mental health issues, but they'll never actually admit that that happens. And what's even more staggering, and this completely stumped me, is that 50% of managers, and I'd put SME owners and business owners, actually don't believe that the problem exists. So initially, there has to be this realization that it's one, mental health and the well-being is actually a real issue and an issue that needs to be attended. The other side is, is that by not attending to it, there are significant costs to you and your business. Whether it be financial, whether it be absenteeism, whether it be productivity, there is a significant risk and cost. So what well-being should really do is putting into place, and it's pretty simple, right? It's just a matter of putting into place a program where people can feel cared for, connected, and heard. And then you're creating an environment and you're creating things where people can connect And you're creating safe havens for people to be able to be open about what they're going through. Because at day's end, one of the things that I know is that, and this is a a fascinating statistic, Savan, is that people take up to 10 years before seeing a doctor when it comes to mental health issues. It's staggering. Early intervention actually has the best outcomes. So the more we're creating programs where people can not only flourish emotionally, physically, know, spiritually, whatever it may be, the more we can create those type of program, the more likelihood is that you're going to create an environment which is rich that people want to be a part of. And the benefits of that are huge from productivity to reduced absenteeism to increased engagement. And I suppose I'm, I'm happy to share this too, is that, you know, we all went through a rough year and I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But what we did is that BGL is that Ron Lesh basically at the start of the, the situation, we employed a product called CultureAmp. So what we did is that we rolled out CultureAmp and what it allowed us to do was to push out an engagement survey. So for those listening, the worldwide statistic on the level of engagement across organizations sits at 17%, one seven. So it effectively means that eight out of your 10 people are actually not engaged and just view what they do as a job. It's fascinating. 
We did our survey and we kicked in at 80% at the start of the pandemic and it actually grew to 90% at the end of the pandemic. I'm sure you're going to have some questions about that later on, but I'll go into what we did because it's super important. They're amazing stats. The stats around $10.9 billion lost. Obviously, business owners need to take this really seriously. Are there actual legal requirements for owners to have to sort of have policies or even actually put any attention to health and well-being in the organisation? Is it governed by law or is it just a really best practice thing? Well, look, we, we have a responsibility to create a workplace that is safe. And if you look at the OHS stuff, there are provisions within there that you need to factor these wellbeing programs in and these people-centred programs in. And you can see, I know that there was quite a bit of discussion about this was some of the manslaughter charges that came through and the onus going back to directors and officers of companies, you know, for people that may do something that's actually not favourable and, you know, like, for example, they may take their life and there may be a sequence of events where... You know, you've, you've been alerted of something, but you haven't paid attention to it or ignored it, then you as a business owner, you're actually responsible for it. And we know that I think the charges are in excess of up to 20 years of imprisonment. But what people don't realise is that it's not just the SMEs, but from what I understand, if you're someone in a senior position within an organisation, you are deemed to be an officer in the organisation, the responsibility you know, falls back on you too. But one of the things that I'd really like to share is that there's a website or a resource called Heads Up, and that's really tailored around workplaces. Now, Heads Up is an amazing resource for SMEs to actually jump into and work out how to create good, safe, holistic workplaces, which, look, you can't mitigate everything, but you've got to be seen to be wanting to be intentional about it, and you want to be seen to ensure that you're doing everything that you possibly can to create a, a place that's really healthy. I can see the benefits being huge. We we try to do a lot of professional development in our organisation. We have casual Fridays. And from a cultural perspective, you could probably see that there'd be a lot of additional benefits. So you're mitigating, obviously, issues and around uh, you know risk and exposure from an officeholder point of view. But Absolutely. I think the cultural part, listening to you, I can – Definitely see a lot of culturally in an organisation that puts this in the forefront. It would just really hone in on the staff's well-being and the performance and the output would be pretty impressive. You've talked about Culture Amp and you did sort of some surveys and you got a score. In terms of business owners, especially SMEs that you know find it difficult for time and whatnot. Where would they start? How do they get started? And, and how do they create this journey for themselves of having policies around mental health? What are your recommendations for someone that's listening that hasn't put effort into this space? Insofar as how does an organisation prepare for this or how do they factor it in, right? What's really important, Hisvan, is that at day's end, it's, it's a decision and a choice and it, and it requires deliberate focus. It's a continual, consistent process. It's like culture. Culture just doesn't happen. It needs to be defined and it needs to be actively lived out every single day. Because without doing that, then culture is really just a word on a wall that people don't identify with. So when it comes to well-being, you actually need to dedicate the time and the resources to be able to make a program work that fits your organization and people. But before you can actually even embark on anything on that, you need to just be accepting of the fact that 
you actually will have people within your organisations that have the issue and you're going to need to be informed, be educated and start looking into, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do or provide? But more importantly, how do I ingrain this into all my people's everyday lives? And how do I integrate this with my culture so that it becomes an everyday topic or an everyday point of focus that becomes central to the decisions that you make when it comes to your people and when it comes to your business? So firstly, there has to be an acknowledgement that whether you like it or not, there is a problem. And then once you've acknowledged that, then okay, how do I develop my understanding and knowledge to be able to build this into my culture so that it becomes something that takes place every day? Yeah, that's really good advice. And linking it back to culture makes a lot of sense. It's not like, it's not something you can have as a process driven thing. It's got to come from the top. But from what I'm hearing also is that once you build that culture, it's the people in the organization looking out for themselves, but looking out for each other as well. And really good advice. I've never looked at mental health or health and wellbeing organization in that sense. I've had the view around, you know, look, be nice to your staff, make sure you're looking after their professional wellbeing, get them trained, make sure they're improving on their job. And we think we are doing the right thing, but sometimes we forget that they might be having pressures at home or someone dear to them has passed away, or it could just be anything that we kind of stay away from. We get scared to to actually go there at times. And look, what, what you're touching on around the whole personal professional development, that's super important too, because you want to retain your staff and grow your staff, right? But you know, what, what people sometimes don't realise, and this is why I like to build it within the culture. See, people think that, you know, that when it comes to well-being or mental health, it's that big thing where the person has a breakdown, they're taking the leave. No, it's not. It's, it's not necessarily that. So, you know, being able to have a culture, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about working from home later on, right? But one of the little things is that as individuals, like, Savannah, it's about being around people and noticing small differences in people, right? So it could be that, you know, I'm used to, you know, we're used to texting each other and normally you'd reply quickly, but then you might take a significant amount of time to reply. Or it could be that your tone in your emails are different or the way that you're dressing up is different or the way that you're paying attention to your personal care is different. It's about creating a, a sensitive enough culture that you notice the little differences which cause you to ask the questions which could then really bring to surface some issues. And, and I've experienced this many a times where I've just noticed slight modifications in people the reaction is a result of much bigger things happening and then you're able to get in and we all know the importance of early intervention being able to quickly jump in and provide help or point them in the right direction is absolutely critical. We don't educate leaders in this space. I, I, don't, I haven't seen anything that's come on my desk around with stuff that I've done in terms of my leadership training. Is there stuff around for leaders to be able to, are there short courses, are there books that you would recommend? So look, there, there's a number of things that, that, that I think are really important. Firstly, there, there's things like mental health first aid courses. Right, So Mental Health First Aid Australia, there's many of them. They do a two-day course, which basically allows you to be in a position to have a greater knowledge of mental health and then how you position yourself to help a person. I'm going to make this point, and it's a big point, but people think that mental health, your responsibilities actually solve the problem for that person. And that's why many people get scared of it, and especially wow. business owners. You're not there to solve the problem. You're actually there to point them in the right direction to get them the necessary help that they need. 
And this is why I love the resource called Are You Okay? Right? They've got a four-point plan. Ask, ask the questions, are you okay? How are you doing? You know, there's lots of things you can do around that. And they've got fantastic resources that you can download, you can go through. It's amazing. But then having the ability to listen and to try and work out, you know, okay, is there something wrong or is there not something wrong? But just be listening because one of the things that we do well is that we talk a lot, but we we don't listen. And in listening, you can actually hear what's going on. And what you then do is if you do identify that there may be an issue, you position yourself to encourage action. Now, this is why I was talking about before, okay, you do a mental health first aid course. All it does is that it empowers you to have the conversation. But then when it comes to encouraging action, you're talking about referring them to your EAP, so Employee Assistance Program, which I encourage businesses to have. I also look at things like the resources that are available, like Head to Health, Are You Okay?, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, Headspace, Heads Up. Be aware what these organizations do and how you can leverage off them to assist you in helping your employee. But just remember you're not there to solve the problem. You're there to basically come alongside them, put your arm around them and say, okay, together we can work through this. But the onus is on them, right? You're just there to encourage the action. And then the last one talks about checking in. And honestly, it's it's just such a powerful and beautiful thing when you are going through a difficult time and you get that text from a friend or a phone call just to say, hey, you're doing okay. Have you gone to the doctor or have you seen AFA? What difference is it making? Can I help you in any way? But the check-in is not a token check-in. It's a genuine check-in. It's a check-in that's got to come from the heart or else, honestly, that, that trust or that relationship, just, you know, that person confiding in you may pull back, but it's a genuine check-in and doing that consistently is really important. It, the genuine part I do resonate with, it's people can at times say, how are you? And before you finish, the person that's asked started to walk off. So I do, I have seen that happen in just in conversation around the office. So when you actually genuinely care, there's there's a different conversation that's been happening. That's definitely one that I've seen around the office. You've worked with organizations. You've obviously dived deep into this topic and, and you do talk to other companies around it. What are some of the really sort of out-of-the-box ideas or policies that people have adopted or you're just very impressed by something and you've heard and gone, wow, that is just something that I'm really impressed with that organisation is doing? There's lots of really good examples, right? But I actually like to use BGL as an example. And one of the things it is is that it's very easy to design blanket programs or just run with whatever because it makes you feel good. But no, no, you've got to have an understanding of what's going on first and you tailor what you offer to what's going on. So just during the pandemic, Savan, there was a couple of really interesting things that I know that I based whatever we did on insofar as programs. And I worked with Louise in HR, who's our head of HR, people and culture, really closely on this and with Ron Lesh, who Ron basically threw all the resources behind it. But people may not know that the biggest issues during the pandemic really was things like boredom was up 600%, especially in Melbourne when we were locked down for, I'm not even going to, don't even want to talk about that, but <laughs> people were bored. And boredom was up 600%. Loneliness was up 300%. Anxiety, 80%. Fear, 300%. Confusion, 500%. Right? So what we did is we took this data and information that's coming through, and all that came from the Healthy Bodies, Healthy Minds, Healthy Business organization. And what we did is that we started to say, okay, what can we offer the people to make sure that we get across the line well? Because at day's end, whatever you develop, 
you want to make sure that it's not just you or the leaders or the business owners that get across the line. Everybody wants to get across the line and you've got to get them across the line strong. That was our goal. That was our objective. Get everyone across the line as strong as we can. So what did we do? Really basic things. We encourage people to rest. We encourage people to take the time to exercise. We encourage people to take the time and to, to make sure that they were eating properly. Like, you know, the amount of people that, and we all, we're all culprits of this. We let ourselves go from a diet perspective. I know that a few of us put on a few more kilos. I know that, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it for myself, but you know, there's some pants I couldn't belt, you know, I couldn't, even I did that to an extent, right? What we also did is we actually allowed people to take time out and we okayed the, for them the permission to take time away from their desks. It was okay to put yourself on, you know, mute or not available because you wanted some time out. We encouraged some people to take annual leave. We encouraged things like allowing people to take mental health leave days where they just could take the day off without having to provide a certificate for it. We did things like encouraging people to limit their media time because, I mean, this is a personal opinion and I have some quite strong ones, but the pandemic of the media was just as bad or even worse than the actual pandemic of the virus itself. But one of the things that I love that what we did is we encouraged people to look out for each other to check in for each other, to drop that little message on Slack. I know me personally, and I didn't get through them all, but I embarked on a journey of trying to ring as many BGL employees as I can. And some of the stuff that I found out was just incredible. But the fact that they saw that we'd taken the time just to call, say hello, why are you ringing me? I'm just in this team or I'm just this person. I said, but it doesn't matter. You're a team member. You matter. You care. Mate, I did things like I've never seen before. I, I got involved in Bollywood classes. I'm the worst answer in the world, but <laughs> we encouraged things like that. We did Friday cooking with, with you know, BGL team members. We did footy things. We did boys' night in. We did girls' night in. We did all these activities, but the importance of it was is creating points of connection where everybody in the organization could tap into something and feel connected. Well, the out-of-the-box ideas, there they are, the Bollywood dancing, the – that's amazing during the COVID times, but we did face a lot of challenges. But do you see that going back to the office is going to eliminate those challenges? And how do business owners navigate coming back? People have been used to working from home and and as they say, you create a habit if you do it consistently for three weeks. We did it for about three or four Almost months. Years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do we how do business owners bring the staff back and sort of create a post-COVID normal or is there no such a thing? Well, look, there's a couple of things, right? And let's add some perspective. Before the pandemic hit, we were all coming into the office literally five days a week. Really what changed was the pandemic hit and we had to alter our working arrangements. So if the pandemic didn't hit, you'd still be going in five days a week. What's happened here, and I'm an advocate for going back to the office, and there's a number of reasons for that, and I'll go through a couple of them. What this has done is, okay, it's made us realize that, you know, we can still be productive, we can still do our work from home. And what it's made us do is it said, okay, we're happy to give people some greater flexibility. So our guideline for BGL is that we're going to ask people and mandate that people come in at least three days a week. And then the other two days a week, they can do what they like. Now, there are some exceptions and we will factor those in. But basically, the reason we want people in, there's a number of them. For us, you can't build culture on Zoom. You can't build it on phone calls. You can't build it by email. You, you just, you, you cannot do it. The essence of culture is being together. And what being together does is allows us not only to, to further enhance culture, but to strengthen culture. 
That's also very hard when it comes to people and why we like to bring people. It's very hard to gauge via Zoom and all these other mediums as to exactly where people are at. So I can sit at Zoom in my best shirt, but I could be, you know, in whatever. We don't want to go. <laughs> but you get what I mean. Yeah. People put on their best show on Zoom. They put on their best face. They put on their best smile. But that may not necessarily be the actual fact. I find also with Zoom is you get straight into a meeting and straight out. There's no pre and post conversation. So you do miss the body language yep. and you miss the, you know, the someone's walked in with their head down a bit sad, but when they're in Zoom, you, they, they may have already done that before they press the button to the video to go on. So I do agree with that Zoom. You do miss the bit around how people are. In terms of the flexible working arrangements and working from home, you guys are doing two days at home or available to do that. Yep. We have a, something similar at Alexander Spencer and, and we're rolling that out. But one of the things that we sort of struggle with getting my head around is actually more flexible work arrangements. So our policy here is that you can work one day a week from home and outside of that, that's sort of our working from home policy. So it's a one day, not two. And we're looking to revisit that again in June. However, we've been sort of toying up with the idea of we have an 8.30 to 5 office hours. And I know that, you know, people do school drop-offs and they may be, you know, not a morning person and not. How do businesses build flexible working arrangements that's actually lined up with mental health and well-being? Or do you do you see that it should be more strict? You know, clients expect you to be there at nine o'clock. When they ring you, you should be available or how do you, in, a, in an organization where you've got to get the job done, but at the same time, you want to have that balance for your employees? What are, you, what are your recommendations there? Well, look, I was actually listening to someone the other day talk about a CEO who went out to their team members about coming back and basically said, you know, your employment contracts and your agreements actually haven't changed. So as an employee, you still have an obligation, right? At day's end, if you actually think back, Savan. When was the last time you said to an employee, don't go to your child's graduation or don't go to an event or don't do this or don't go to a sporting event or don't go see, you know, your mum because she's not well or your dad? Never. So because as a business, and I know the Alexander and Spence, what type of people you are, you're flexible, you're understanding. So there's a great element of trust for your people to do the right thing. And you know what? If they're not doing the right thing, it's about also having the courage and the ability to say, pull your head in. You know, there are objectives you need to meet. You know, there are, there are things you, you know, I'm happy for you to work around to meet the objectives, but at day's end, you've still got to meet your objectives and your targets, right? So when it comes to, you know, some more flexible working arrangements, for some people, it may be better off for them. I had a girl come to me yesterday, came and said to me, look, I'd like to start at eight o'clock, but be out by four o'clock because it helps me with traffic. Well, fine. I don't really mind. As long as you're meeting your targets and your obligations and you're doing what you need to, it's fine, right? But at day's end... If you're building a strong culture, a strong people, they're always going to want to do the right thing by you. And if you've got great open relationships, you're going to want to do the right thing by them because you want to keep them. I know that it's a big struggle for many organizations and people at the moment. Recruiting people and finding good people is really hard, right? And you want to create and sustain the best possible environment where not only your people are flourishing, but they also feel that they have the flexibility and the ability to be able to speak out and ask for, you know, times for, you know, attending certain things or to accommodate better starting times or finishing times to make their life easier. And you know what? If there's a 
as an owner of an SME or as an employer, if you don't want to make your people's life easier where you can, then I sort of question whether or not you should be doing it. Daniel, we've talked about people's health and well-being, and sometimes in business, there are times where we have to have difficult conversations with people. How do you have those conversations knowing that conversation potentially will significantly impact their well-being? How, how do you go about that? Yeah, look, that that's a really interesting question. And I know that in my role, I've had to have many tough conversations. And we've got to remember that as owners of businesses, that we still have to run a business. And you're still going to have to make business decisions. And business decisions are going to impact people. So the, the main thing is, is that when it comes to making the tough decisions, and there are many that business owners have to make, of course, you underlie your conversation with compassion and understanding and mercy, right? But at day's end, at times you're going to have to make the tough call. Now, when it comes to making the tough call, you want to be in a position where you're considering the person and the way that you deliver it, but you've also got to emphasize the fact that you need to make this business decision. And it's got nothing to do with the person. It's got to do with the needs of the business. So first, you need to be really well prepared for the conversation and be able to explain why you're making that decision. And it's not a personal thing. It's a business thing. And you need to also be prepared that there is going to be a reaction and a response. And you also need to be prepared with the resources to be able to point this person to, should they need some help, someone to talk to, some career conversations, have your resources available and be in a position to be able to hand them to them because you don't want to just make a decision and say, okay, here you are, you're off on your own. No, make the decision, make the call, however tough it may be, but then you need to also provide them with the resources and the help where they can take that next step with confidence. But business decisions and people decisions are hard. And I've always had the, the mindset, if, if you find certain decisions of whether it be firing people or changing people's roles or demoting people or performance managing people easy, then, you know, it, it's not an easy process. But if, if you're doing it with a smile on your face, when I'm sort of thinking, well, you're actually not interested in the person. You've got people, they're there to, to achieve a business objective. You need to be able to make the right call when you need to make that call do it with compassion, do it with facts, and always do it with the right resources so that person can walk away from that conversation, sorry, with whatever they need to make sure that they have the confidence to take the next step. That is brilliant advice for those that are going to have those conversations. My final questions around sort of measurement and uh, being an accountant, we like to measure things in lots of fancy spreadsheets and whatnot. Similar to the culture conversation that you had before and linking culture and health and well-being and organization being very similar. How does a business owner know that they're doing it well? Because it's not something you can measure in a very short period of time. I mean, if you're doing it really well for long periods of time, I guess you're going to have a lot of engagement, your profits will go up and your, you know, your sick days will go down, all the rest of it. But for a leader that's going to start this journey and put a lot of effort into it, are there sort of short-term measures that you can go, well done, you, you know, in the first three months you'll notice this and maybe in the next six months you'll start to notice that, that they are on the right track? Yeah, look, like I said, we went down the path of, surveys, which are engagement surveys, and we can roll them out whenever we like. And that's one of the beauties about the system that we have is that 
whenever we want to get a gauge of the organisation and how the people feel, then we roll this out, they answer the question, they're completely anonymous and whatever feedback we get is pretty much unfiltered feedback, right, which gives us a good gauge as to how we're going. One of the things that we probably don't do enough of is just talk to our staff, right? We don't take the time because we don't see it as important because we look at, okay, this is going to cost me seven or 10 billable minutes, but (laughs) it could actually save you hundreds if you'd actually got onto certain things earlier. But at day's end, you'll see it. The the measurement will be productivity, right? I mean, I know for accounts, a lot of it's around the revenue and all this type of stuff and the costing and all the, 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 you know, what you're billing your clients and stuff like that. But, you know, you'll notice things like absenteeism, reducing people more enthusiastic to want to grow and develop people being more present when they're they're at meetings or people are more engaged where it comes to where the business is going that when you're wanting to make decisions people feel that they want to say and they want to have you know a bit of a a, more of a an influence on where it's going because they believe that they've got good insights as to where the business should go so by opening those forums and opening those opportunities you'll see that not only will the bottom line improve, but like things like engagement and retention and all that type of stuff will improve too. But you've got to, you've got to have measures in place and you've got to know where you are today and then how you're progressing by adopting certain things which allow you to get a really good idea as to how you're progressing as an organisation. And there's many wonderful tools available. Coltramp's not the only one. There are many of them. Yeah, it's a deep topic we've covered today. It's definitely changed the way that I will be dealing with my staff and the people in our organisation at Alexander Spencer. We did roll out wellbeing days during the course of the pandemic, but I think as an organisation, we can all do a lot better in, in actually the way that we manage each other's wellbeing, where we're going through sort of working out our flexible arrangements as well. And I think a lot of businesses are. So This discussion has been very, very well timely. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Daniel, and I want to wish you the best with your journey in this passionate project or passionate topic that you have. I'll look forward to talking to you about this in coming years, and I really, really want to thank you for the time that you've taken to share your insights in health and well-being in an organisation. Thank you. It's a pleasure, and if I could just leave you with one thing, it's really just a matter of starting the conversation and dedicating some time to it and not being afraid and treating it like it's a it's a really bad thing. The more open we are about it, the more progress we're going to make. And, of course, we've got businesses to run. I love running business. I'm passionate about business. I love winning. I love succeeding. But people are at the centre of it all. And if you haven't got that right, nothing else will follow. That is 100% correct. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's 
the bottom line.